Well, this is a very exciting bit. This is the final act before Mass here tonight, and I can't think of a better way to end the program on this stage. When we in the youth office were talking about our big wish list for who we wanted to get along to actually be at this festival event today, these guys were at the very top, but we never thought that, you know, in a pink fit they would ever come. If we would like put a call into New York and say, hey guys, come over and do some workshops and do a live recording here at our World Youth Day Festival event here in Adelaide. We can't believe that this has actually happened. Please make them super welcome. From the USA, ladies and gentlemen, Jez Whittacall. <laughs> And welcome to Jesuitical, a podcast by the Ripper Young, Bonzily Hip, and the Crazy Lay Editors of American Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. I'm Ashley McKinless, and I'm joined by Olga Segura. Hey, guys. And Zach Davis. Hello, Adelaide! <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I don't really know what our adverbs meant this week, but they uh, were given to us by Adelaide locals. So, And we were told they meant that we were cool, but yeah. whatever. <laughs> but if not, joke's on us. <laughs> um, but we are so excited to be here. As James mentioned, when we first got invited to do this, we were like, this can't possibly happen. And now months later, we are here in Adelaide. In Australia has been great. You guys are wonderful. Yeah, it's been our first. It's all of our first times in Australia. Mm -hmm. and so we've sort of tried to see a little bit. We did some time in Sydney, mm -hmm. some time in Cairns, and then we spent a few days in Adelaide. You guys have, we oh, we won't make weather jokes yet, but uh, <laughs> they're coming. Saving those. But this is the first place we saw a kangaroo, so it is obviously the best place in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> but as I said, the show is often over drinks. So what's on tap, Zach? So we are drinking Cooper's Ultralight non-alcoholic beer as this is a non-alcoholic event but i've been told that cooper's is the thing to drink when we're in southern australia south australia and so we will pander to an audience for sure <laughs> and cheers guys cheers cheers Ooh, that's good it's good it tastes like beer yeah, I mean, yeah 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 all right <laughs> easy drinking yeah. it's like Coors, but better <laughs> So this week, as Zach mentioned, we are talking to Sebastian Duo. He is the Retreats and Programs Coordinator for the De La Salle Brothers in Bankstown. And last October, he was selected by the Australian Catholic Bishops Commission Conference as Australia's representative at the Synod on Young People. And at 22, he was the youngest auditor present at the Synod. Yeah, so a synod is church speak for a gathering of church leaders. Um, and so they invited all these young people to give feedback about what the church can do better um, to utilize the gifts that young people have to give. Yeah, and we're going to talk to Sebastian about what the synod was like and his experience and also what it means to be a young person in uh, a young Catholic in Australia today and in the world today. But first, it's time for Signs of the Times, the part of our show where we sift through the Catholic news of the week so you don't have to. Our first story is the reason we're here, World Youth Day. Um, Adelaide's is obviously the best, but the Pope is also <laughs> in Panama, um, where over 180,000 young people from 155 countries gathered to go to Mass and engage in fellowship, um, including over 1,000 pilgrims from Australia. Yeah, so we should shout out to them. Uh, there were smaller crowds this year at World Youth Day, which uh, hasn't gotten a ton of 
press. It's not a like fun thing to talk about. Um, but there are, as Ashley said, 180,000 people. Um, but comparing that to the World Youth Day that was in Krakow in Poland, uh, that was about 2 million pilgrims. And then there were 5 million in Manila back in 1995. Um, reasons for the smaller crowd, I guess, uh, School's in session in the Northern Hemisphere. It's not as nice as it is here nope. back in New York. <laughs> um, so it's winter and snowy and we're studying. And I think a lot of kids had trouble getting out of school. Mm -hmm. And some people said that it was a really far distance to travel and also really expensive to get there. Yeah. But I think the reason the Pope decided to go there is a theme of his pontificate is traveling to the margins. Um, and so going to Panama, maybe a place that a lot of people haven't been, but where there are a lot of people who are faithful Catholics. And while he was there, he visited with inmates in prison. Um, he went to a homeless shelter um, and visited with dozens of HIV and AIDS patients. He also really highlighted the experience of indigenous peoples in uh, Panama, including the Embera and the Cuna. And he stated that the genius of the lands in Latin America is marked by the richness of the different kind of culture that indigenous peoples bring to uh, Panama. Yeah. And one of the participants from the Nagabe community, uh, which is native to Western Panama, stated one of the important aspects of being at World Youth Day is to get others to acknowledge our reality, to learn about our culture, and to not listen to the prejudices they have about us as indigenous people. The idea that we don't worship the same God. Yeah. And it, uh, there were some like hard conversations because, you know, as people in Australia know, there is a tension between the Catholic Church and indigenous people. Um, and the Pope was very upfront about that and about the way that um, a loss of community within indigenous populations can create a big barrier to the faith. Um, so I think it was important for for him to be there, for the church to be there. Um, and also give a voice to these indigenous populations. One of the cool things they did was they had a via crucis, which is like a way of the cross. And the traditional stations of the cross were actually marked to uh, sufferings that are common to young people today, particularly young people in Latin America. And two pilgrims from Guatemala read the reflection and prayer that connected to the station Jesus is denied by Peter to the suffering and marginalization of indigenous people. Yeah, and there's this really great quote. Um, the young men prayed, our indigenous people represent Jesus in centuries old pain that marks their lives. Denied and forgotten, they found in their Lord Jesus, the image of their pain, the portrait of so many forgotten. So... We thought it was a good reminder that um, World Youth Day is not just in Adelaide. It's not just in Panama. Um, it's a global event. And we know that they have said they are praying for us. Um, and I'm sure we are all praying for them as well. Um, and speaking of prayers in a global context, our next story. Yeah. So our next story, Pope Francis is asking young people around the world to join a new online prayer network called Click to Pray. And you can join through an app that you can download on your mobile phone and it connects you to people around the entire world in prayer. Yeah. And this new app is part of a prayer network network called the Apostleship of Prayer. It um, is it was started in 1890, um, but back in 2016, they got a YouTube channel. So every month, the Pope Francis will have a special prayer intention, um, and he records a video that you can see on YouTube. Um, and now they're inviting people to participate through this new app. Um, and Zach, you downloaded the app. What did you think? I did. I uh, was pretty excited. So it was pretty easy to get on my iPhone. Uh, it was kind of it was a little dicey logging in, but you can log in with a Facebook. A lot of error me messages. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you can log in with Facebook and Gmail and all that stuff 
stuff, which is good. Um, and then all I, I, I was reading and I saw there was this giant button that says click to pray. And I was like, all right, what does that do? And then it just popped up and said, all right, thank you for praying. And I said, oh, no, I, I didn't pray. I lied. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, but, it's like a like button on Facebook. Yeah, right? and I couldn't really take it back. So uh, that was unfortunate. But I figured I would just not count it. Thankfully, you were prayed. praying for young people. So I guess why would you want to take that back? <laughs> yeah, but uh, it did. It was kind of cool to like see the the number go up and like mm -hmm. at, it was like, oh, your one was one of like 10 million from around the world. Yeah, and while I have not checked out the app yet, I'm a huge fan of prayer apps. We've talked about this before on the show. So I, even if it's not fully fleshed out, I think it's a great move for the church. Yeah, and they've got these sort of morning, afternoon, and evening reflections that are really simple. They take like maybe 45 seconds, but uh, I'm hoping that there's some type of push notification system that they can develop because I've not been reminded yet to pray for by my iPhone. Um, I have been reminded to check Instagram 10 times. <laughs> um, but I, I think like the numbers thing could be a little bit dystopian. It's a little weird to like have that be counted as like a metric to use. But it is, like I said, it is really cool to like get a sense of the people praying together. And you can offer your own intentions, which I thought was cool. You can, you know, just if there's something that's weighing on your heart, you can type it in there and then see other people praying for you, which I think is cool. Like yeah, as long as you don't use it as Instagram, like be worried about how many prayers you get. That would be disconcerting. Not, yes, that's true. <laughs> um, um, but if you want to check out the app, go to www.clicktopray.org. Uh, yeah. What's our next story, and Zach? Our next story also is about an app, and this one is a little bit closer to uh, our new adopted home of Australia. Um, <laughs> there is a new smartphone app for the mass. So two self-taught programmers from the Blue Mountains created an app that's available in the Google, Google Play Store, um, and it's been approved for use by the Australian Bishops Commission for Liturgy. And what it is, it's the Missal. So this is that giant book that's been that's used by uh, priests and bishops when they celebrate Mass. It's a he, it's an enormous book. Yeah. So if they ever like pause for five minutes and are flipping through pages, <laughs> it's because they can't find their place in the Missal, right. which this app might help with. Yeah. So it takes us thousands of pages and condenses it into your phone, and it's been approved for use for not just for celebrants who are you know uh, celebrating the Mass, but for people who are following along too. So uh, Right, and, it, and it's really cool because it shows that the church is kind of catching up to technology that they're seeing that a lot of young people especially are, are looking for. Yeah, and more than the technological advances, something I've come to like know just talking to people is that the books that we need to celebrate Mass are oftentimes super expensive. And for communities that are sort of distant or really serving the poor, it can feel a little bit ridiculous to spend, you know, hundreds and hundreds of dollars on books when they're struggling to feed their parishioners. And so this is a very, like, justice-oriented way of keeping the liturgy centered in the mission of different churches around the world. Uh, speaking of things that make mass difficult, we couldn't be here without talking about the extreme heat that we've <laughs> experienced. We landed on uh, Thursday here in Adelaide, um, where it was a record-breaking 46.6 degrees Celsius, which meant nothing to us, but that's about 117 degrees Fahrenheit. Which is really hot. I which sounds you hot. Jeez, it was People like an were oven. saying 46 degrees, and I was like, oh, that oh, sounds cold, fine. Right? <laughs> I need a jacket. Um, um, but no, 100, 116 was yeah. pretty toasty. And while we didn't spend that much time outside, there were volunteers with the Order of Malta Community Care Vet, Van Volunteers in Parramatta and Sydney who were outside giving sun hats, sunscreen, and water to those who were living on the streets. Yeah, and the community care vans currently go out three times a week, but they're looking to expand. So if you are looking to maybe if this 
uh, experience inspired you to maybe go out and serve those who might not have any air conditioning to get to, um, you can check them out at www.orderofmalta.org.au. What's our next story, Olga? Um, our last story is news that is close to home for us. This is the controversy with boys from Covington Catholic High School. Um, and because this story requires a little bit of a lot of context, we're going to try to break it down for you guys as best as we can. Yeah. So actually, while we were sort of in the air traveling to Australia, there was a huge Twitter eruption that broke out where there are these videos that emerged that appeared to depict a group of high school boys wearing uh Catholic uh, high school boys. Catholic high school boys, excuse me, and who were wearing Make America Great Again hats and uh, T-shirts, which is Donald Trump's uh, slogan. And so these were sort of his official uh, campaign uh, gear. Yeah. So this initial 20 second video came out. And it appeared to show these Catholic high school boys in the MAGA hats um, jeering and mocking a Native American man. Um and then so people saw that video and were very upset and jumped on the story um, and what's being described as Twitter mobs went after these boys. Um, there were some death threats. They went mm -hmm. they exposed they were doxxed. So giving their physical addresses um, and there was just like a lot of controversy around it. Right. But then later videos and statements were released that provided the perspective from these high school boys. And those set of videos showed that the boys were actually waiting for their bus to pick them up after they had completed the March for Life, which is an annual mass protest against abortion that happens in the United States. Yeah. And before that, there were these group of men who were part of the group, the black Hebrew Israelites, who were shouting anti-Semitic, homophobic and anti-Catholic slurs at the boys. Yeah. And so this longer video, instead of showing the young Catholic high school boys surrounding a Native American man, showed that this Native American man actually walked into their group in a in hopes of diffusing the tensions between the high school boys and this uh, group of black Hebrew Israelites who were spewing hateful messages to the young boys. Right. And there are many people who pointed out that, you know, this was evidence of poor media ethics and also the kind of pernicious effects of Twitter and spreading false narratives in America. And this was like a huge story for what was a very short video. I mean, it, everyone was talking about it back in the States, especially even mm -hmm. not not just Catholic circles. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I had a couple thoughts as to why I think it blew up so much. Um, one is that people in the March for Life uh, tend to think that they don't get the amount of media coverage that they deserve. Um, and so they're already pretty sensitive to that. And so when the one of the only stories they see is a bad one, they're upset. I also think that there was a lot of leftover uh, sort of feelings about elite Catholic high school, boy high school culture, especially after the Brett Kavanaugh hearings this summer. Which was uh, some context on that. Brett Kavanaugh was nominated to be on our Supreme Court, the highest court in the land. Um, and there were accusations made against him that he uh, engaged in sexual assault in high school and was a product of an elite boys Catholic high school. Yeah, and there's also a, not a lot of trust in the media right now. Both the president is regularly demeans them, um, and there's a lot of rethinking about what it means to be a good journalist. Um, and also, um, in the States, we rarely ever confront or talk about our relationship with Native Americans. And so to sort of see a Native American man uh, who's also a veteran, like confronted by a bunch of people wearing Trump gear, w was sort of a, a very potent image for reaction, I think. And I, I guess... That's the context. And while everyone is weighed in on this, and so there's not a ton left to say, mm -hmm. um, especially once this comes out next Friday, um, I thought, Ashley, maybe we could just offer some thoughts about what we think about this. Yeah. My first thought was that I was happy to be up in an airplane when all this was happening. So I didn't have to give my gut reaction because a lot of people who did come out and condemn 
these high school boys um, ended up retracting their statements and apologizing for what they later thought to be a rash judgment. Um, and I, I kind of feel for that side of the, or I see it through the lens of like how Twitter is making our dialogue in the United States terrible. Like, yes, I disagree with the idea that you would wear a making America great again, hat to the March for life, because I just don't think that's appropriate at all. Um, but I also don't feel comfortable with like grown adults piling on to 16 year olds. I did really stupid stuff in high school. And if that had been like made national news, I would not look great. Um, and I just don't think using people with the facts are changing all the time, using them as like a jumping off point for a dialogue that is important, um, but doesn't need to rest on like young people being exposed and trashed in the media. Yeah. I, <sighs> I hear what you're saying, but also I feel like this, like you said, this was a super important conversation to have. And I don't know that th these boys' lives would have been ruined, right? I mean, they are at this elite Catholic high school and their wealth and their privilege is something that's going to protect them. I don't know. Um, Do we know their wealth? I don't know what their wealth, if they're that it, wealthy. Like, it, it, Presumably attending a high school like this would make them wealthy. Um, and it, it is in, in unlike people of color and the poor who have things when they're teenagers affect them in a very serious way. And, and especially in our legal system, um, they were not going to be subject to, and that actually ruins like really ruins their lives and takes away real freedoms. I don't know that any of that would have happened to these boys. And it's, I think it is important no matter what the ended up happening with this native American man, Nathan Phillips. Um, it's important for us to talk about what it means to wear make America great again hats and shirts um, in public like that. And if you, want to wear that and feel proud about that, you should face some repercussions when people find that offensive, I think. Yeah, I think I think you're both making good points. I, I th agree with Ashley. I don't think these kids need to be doxxed. I don't think they need to be receiving death threats or their information just be posted for adults to shame them. Um, but it is very tough for me to take their plight seriously. Um, as a woman of color in the United States, people of color do not get the same... Uh, second chances that a lot of white Americans do, you know, black and brown kids get shot by the police all the time and their families are not given the opportunity to even air out their grief in the same way that these boys are, you know, and there are so many kids of color in the United States that are told at a very young age, you have to operate in the world being aware that your skin color is going to be used against you. You know, so yes, in an ideal world, I would love to say that, yeah, we can't judge a 15, 16 year old for what he's doing, but also that is not afforded to black and brown kids in our country. And I think while I don't want to shame these young kids, I think that if we really want to dismantle like moments of oppression in systems of oppression in the United States, and it requires a certain kind of like calling out young kids who do things like this. Mm -hmm. I guess the question is, is this, is this a good thing that the Catholic church was engaging in these types of conversations? I, I don't think we do very often. Yeah, I don't, I don't think we do either. Um, it is something that happens in more secular audiences. And the fact that these boys were from a Catholic school, um, the, the Catholic church had to speak out, um, even if they had to do so in real time in ways that were complicated. These mm -hmm. are complicated conversations. Um, and so it is important for the church to be engaged. Um, I think it raises really important questions about the church's relationship with indigenous people, with people of color, um, and how we engage with 
the media when it's like moving very quickly and maybe the church is not the most media literate group in the country. Um, But that's what we think. Listeners, what do you think? Let us know. You can send us an email at jesuitical at americanmedia.org or tweet at us at Jesuitical Show. Cue transition music. (laughs) (laughs) All right. At this time, we're going to invite Sebastian up on stage for the second part of our show. Give him a warm welcome. Yeah. So we'd love to welcome to our stage live show in Adelaide, Sebastian Duo. He is the Retreats and Programs Coordinator for the De La Salle Brothers in Bankstown. And last year he was selected to attend the Synod in Rome as the youngest auditor. Welcome to Jesuitical. Hi, welcome. Thank you. Yeah, and this is your first podcast, right? Yeah. Uh, yes, this is my first podcast. Closer wow. We're so excited that we get to be your first podcast experience. <laughs> um, so we read that you were, at first, we thought that you were the youngest person at the Synod. Then we saw that you were the youngest auditor there. So what exactly does that mean? What does an auditor do and what did you do in Rome? Um, I was the youngest English-speaking auditor there. There were uh, Even more qualifiers. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but what an auditor did at the Synod was essentially we were as much a part of the synodal process as the bishops and the cardinals and and everyone else that was a part of it. The only difference between our role and the role that they had was that we weren't able to actually vote on the final document. So we were able to give interventions and speak just as they were. What's an intervention? Um, um, An intervention was a a four-minute speech essentially on a a given part of the working document that we were working off as part of this. Because I think of an intervention as my fiancé sitting me down and telling me I've had too much McDonald's. (laughs) Or play too much Fortnite. Or play too much Fortnite. It's it's different than that, yes. Yeah, it is very different. Way less confrontational. And we we read that you you centered your intervention on music. what, what, What did you say and why did you decide to do that? Um, I centered my intervention around a positive experience that I had in the church growing up as a, as a young boy, as a 14-year-old walking into uh, my parish youth group and being invited to play music and I played the saxophone. Um, it was one of my youth leaders. I'd been going to the youth group for a while and I was invited to, hey, come along and play and you know, play music with us and join. And I had never played music alongside people before. And so I was super nervous and frustrated, but was welcomed really beautifully and really hospitably into that situation. And I thought it was just a beautiful analogy to represent what I thought the church needed to be and needed to mm. become. How, how does that tra- like translate to what you think the church needs to be doing or what you told the bishops at the synod that they could take from that experience? It was very much about having doors that were or that are open, doors that are free from judgment, doors that are that allow people to make mistakes and not be perfect and not feel judged and hated and looked down upon when they don't do everything perfectly. So so you were not a perfect saxophone player at 14? <laughs> I'm still not. <laughs> And, but you were sort of, when you made mistakes, you're saying that people sort of welcomed you along. They welcomed me in and they, they let me make the mistakes and let me learn at my own pace and let me develop a desire to want to immerse myself more into that musical experience. And that's exactly what I feel like faith is and, and the church should be for young people. And do you think it's doing that enough now? Is that what you, what, so what did you say to the bishops? Like, we're not doing this or we need well, to I do said it more? That, yeah, sorry. I said that that was my experience. It's an experience that, should be the normal experience, but is often a huge exception. Yeah. It is often an experience that only a few people feel, but it is one that should be the normal. 
Did you meet the Pope? I did. I Whoa. did. How was that? Yeah. Um, so I met him the first time and it was just a brief sort of handshake um, and met him again later that day when we'd started our first sessions. And I sort of walked in um, and being just the, the man that he is, being so hospitable and so genuine and so kind, he actually waited at the front door of the hall that we walked into and greeted every single person and shook every single person's hand as they walked in and said hi to every single person, which was 330 people. Wow. Um, and it was just beautiful. It was just a, yeah. an amazing experience. I have, was, a, yeah. I have one delicate question before we move on. Uh, <laughs> something I've always wondered, is there a, does the Pope, what does the Pope smell like? <laughs> what is that? Why? <laughs> does he have a cologne? Is there like a papal cologne? <laughs> um, you were focused on other things? Yeah. <laughs> It's not something I. It's not something I picked up. So you were there for a, about a month, right? Yeah. Uh, could could you just briefly maybe summarize what your like day to day was like? So what happens at a synod? I guess the synod was broken up into three parts because the working document that we were going off was three parts as well. There was sections of, of large group interventions where people who had submitted um, speeches to give their four minute speeches would speak, and those would. You know, that happened for essentially three days straight of sitting for four hours in the morning and then four hours in the afternoon. Of Did it just feel like listening. school? It <laughs> felt very different. So like 300 <laughs> four-minute speeches, give or take. Yeah, 300 four-minute speeches. Okay, all right, so that's um, at the beginning. Yeah, um, all in different languages. And so they had translation, live translation. And so I was essentially hearing the same woman's voice in my ear for a month. Oh, wow. Um, I felt like I got a new conscience. But it's it almost great. like a podcast. <laughs> yeah. It was, it, yeah. <laughs> Except there's three of you guys and there was one of her. And, yeah. So you're representing Australia. And like, I was just thinking, like, if I had to represent all the young people in the United States, like there is a very diverse group of young Catholics there. So how did you balance like bringing your own point of view, trying to like represent Australia. Did you like ask your friends like, hey, what should I tell the Pope? Or like, what was your <laughs> what was your approach to like making sure you got the right message across? Um, I'm really fortunate in my work that I actually get to travel across the country and speak to a lot of young people and work with a lot of young people. Um, and so I think in the lead up to heading off to Rome, I was asking some of those questions and trying to gauge what they like and dislike and what they're frustrated by one of the things particularly in australia and coming up in the u.s or has just come up in the u.s was the obviously the sexual abuse crisis yeah. the way it was being dealt with in a lot of circumstances and the lack of transparency behind all of that um that was one of the struggles and i think one of the wider struggles as well was yeah lack of being modern lack of um, adaptability to, to current times and you guys were talking earlier about um, the church starting to come on board with technology and things like that and I think that's a really fantastic thing um, but it's a little bit late <laughs> no yeah and it's not like a lot of these things are like deep teachings that we need to like really debate theologically yeah. right it's just sort of like get a YouTube channel <laughs> so when, once you got to the synod did you feel that any of the problems that young Catholics in Australia were facing were unique to Australia or were did you find that there were problems that overlapped from different parts of the world i remember having this conversation with one of the other auditors present and we sort of broke up the the problems that were being spoken about into four different categories um one was the developed world and so 
problems facing young people in Australia and the US and those were all similar. The developing world, so places like India and, and other third world countries. The third one was the, the persecuted world, so places like Iraq and um, in other parts of India as well and some parts of Asia even that spoke about just the persecuted church. And then the fourth category was just some of the, some of the common themes that came out and some of the common problems that um, were almost universal problems. So the common themes were a sense of trying to reach young people the problem arose in different ways, but it was a common problem nevertheless. Um, the developed world was struggling to reach young people in the sense that they felt young people didn't see a need for God or a need for faith or a need for the church. Um, and the persecuted world was facing yeah, struggles with accessing young people and struggles with actually living out their faith and reaching young people because it's, yeah, it's dangerous to, to live out yeah. faith and it's dangerous to even talk about it. Yeah. What gives you hope? Um, what gives me hope is things like this and, and moments like this where young people come together and experience the joy of the church and the, the youthfulness and vibrancy and how amazing the church can be when it's understood in a, in a perspective that is, that is broad and not confined to purely mass or purely one building. Um, and what gives me hope is just seeing diversity and seeing different things happen in different places, seeing fresh ideas and um, fresh perspectives and, yeah, having my opinions and my thoughts changed from people I encounter and speak to. That's wonderful. Um, final question for you. If you could canonize anyone, living or dead, Catholic or not Catholic, who would it be and why? That's so difficult. I know. So many <laughs> of our guests get stumped hard. by this one question. Oh. It's always amazing. You know what? He's probably going to get canonized in years to come anyway i'm gonna say it and i feel like it's a super generic answer and a bit of an escape but i'm gonna say pope francis because i think he's a living saint anyway but yeah but tell us why he really does practice what he preached he talks a lot about welcoming those in the margins he talks a lot about um being inclusive and being hospitable and just being loving and respectful and it was so evident being there that it wasn't just what he talked about, but it was the way he really actually lived. And he's just such a simple man. He walked every day to and from the, the Synod Hall instead of being driven. He was downstairs having coffee and morning tea with everyone every single day and having conversations and talking to people. Um, he's just, yeah, so simple and so authentic and so genuine. All right, St. Pope Francis, pray for us. All right, Sebastian, thank you so much for the work you've given to your church, to the global church, and to this podcast. Yeah. No right. worries. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Sounds great. So now it's time for Consolations and Desolations, the part of our show where we talk about where we found God this week and where it was harder to find God. What do you have, Olga? So I've got a consolation this week. Um, aside from just being super grateful for being able to travel to Australia and be here with my co-hosts and all of you wonderful people, um, being here also gave me the opportunity to meet my fiance Enoch's extended family. Um, they left Ghana in the early 90s and have been living in Australia since, the I think, 1991. Um, and on the podcast, I've talked a little bit about 
my relationship with my fiance's family is not the best. Um, and it's actually been kind of a really difficult for me at times. So I went into this really hesitant. I had a lunch with them uh, last week in Sydney and I went in really apprehensive and I told these guys, I was like, I'm not really excited about this. I'm kind of nervous. And then I went in and they were just so welcoming and so authentic and just so loving. And they had just met me and they were just like, what are you doing here in Australia? I hope you, what can, how can we help you and your co-host? You want to get around? Um, and then they prayed for me. And this was a consolation for me because for such a long time, I've been wanting to be in a space with my fiancés. They're a very strong Christian family, and I've been wanting to be welcomed into that space for such a long time. Um, and it just meant so much to be in this completely new country and to just have them pray with me and for me. Um, and I really saw God in just them. We were so psyched when we heard about how that went, too. We were just like waiting for the text to come through. <laughs> yeah. All right. Ashley, what do you got? Um, I have a desolation, which feels weird saying here because I mean, I have had like the best week ever. Um, and I love Australia and Adelaide. Um, but part of what we were doing here was we were giving a, a talk earlier this weekend about like our faith journeys. And I, I love my Catholic faith. I love the church, but like, I'm not used to talking about my faith out loud, <laughs> even though that seems like it's kind of my job. Um, but so we were we were preparing for this talk and I was reading what Zach and Olga were saying about how their faith has changed since college and the ways it's grown. And I was just looking at it and I was like, I have not experienced anything like that. Um, and and there was this voice in my head that was saying, like, well, if 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 you don't have a good like witness talk like you, God must not have been working in your life. You've been like stagnant and doing nothing since college when you had that one good like spiritual experience um so instead of like telling that voice to shut up because that voice is the evil spirit it's not god um i kind of went with it and was like okay i guess i guess i have not been as good a catholic as i thought i was just kind of going through the motions so the desolation was was in that voice instead of instead of reaching out to zach and olga being like okay this format doesn't really work for me i don't i don't do faith talk i i need to talk about this in a different way i turned inward um, and decided that like my my experience of faith wasn't as valid as your guys's. That's really tough. But you were super brave, and like I think the talk went well. <laughs> but thanks, yeah. yeah, yeah. What do you have? I've got a consolation this week. Uh, we've done and seen like so many amazing things and met so many amazing people this week. But I I have this thing that I often have a hard time with. Um, I've been away from home since I finished high school. And I always sort of feel guilty about where I am and not being home to help with things in my family in particular. Um, and it's been really tough this week in particular because my home in Ohio, um, my grandma's uh, been fighting cancer and been going to chemotherapy treatments with my mom. And then back home in New York, my fiance Amanda, her professional life's sort of been up in the air and been going through a lot of like big changes. And I've been here this week while she's been doing the interviews and consultations and stuff. But there is this moment in cans where Ashley and I were trying to uh, snorkel in the reef and I was not a great swimmer. Um, and Ashley sort of just swam away and left me to flounder in the <laughs> reef by myself. Um, and everyone looks the same wearing those big suits. So I was just lost. Um, but there was this moment where I was sort of like figuring it out and I had gotten the snorkel in my mouth and I could breathe and I could swim and I 
poked my head underwater and I just like was amazed by all the fish and all the coral and all the beauty. And it was sort of this, this overwhelming experience of like, oh my God, like, thank you. Like, this is all so beautiful. And like, this trip has been so good. And like, I get to like go around the world and like talk about the way that you work in my life. And this just being sort of like dropped into water where you couldn't swim, just sort of just like allowed me to like still keep those things that are at home in my prayers and like in the forefront of my mind, but also like focused on like what I needed to be doing here. And so I'm grateful that uh, even though you left me to maybe drown, God broke through and sort of opened my eyes that way. So You're welcome. that's my consolation. I'll ditch you more often. Thanks. <laughs> Should we, we roll done? credits? Yeah. Roll credits. Go ahead. Do we have credit music? <laughs> oh, there it is. Jesuitical is brought to you by American Media and produced by Eloise Blondio. Our editor is Noah Levinson. Adverbs provided by the wonderful young people of Adelaide. Jesuit formation provided by Eric Sundrup SJ. Engineering provided by James James Matthew. back there. Shout out to there. them. Yes. <laughs> um, and a special huge thank you to the Archdiocese of Adelaide and the Catholic Office for Youth and Young Adults for bringing us literally around the world to be here. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite podcasts and leave us a review. And you can send us your questions, feedback, cocktail recipes, and tell us where you found God this week at Jesuitical at AmericanMedia.org. For American Media, I'm Ashley McKinless with Olga Segura and Zach Davis. We will see you next week. <laughs>